0: I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I storm to the beat of my own drum. I got my pockets full. Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse, a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that can make us all be encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate and get up in the morning, or what they wish that they'd known earlier in life? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. Today, I am in Franklin, Tennessee, and I am with Ashley White. And so glad to be here. Thank you for opening up and joining us. Yes, I'm so excited. Well, we're going to get started. What I'd like to do is just kind of dive in and who do people know Ashley as today?
1: (laughs) Um, So, oh man, that's a really solid first question. (laughs) And we jump right in, don't we? There's my gut. There she is. She's waking up. Um, I am a songwriter and a friend, an Enneagram enthusiast. Um. Yes. Aren't we all?
0: Well, I say that because I keep running into that. So yep. I am definitely fixing to dive there. Mm-hmm. But okay, keep introducing yourself because yes. you just jumped me <laughs> off there. So.
1: I love it. That helps a lot. Um. Especially you're talking to somebody in her 20s in Nashville. So we're all obsessed with the Enneagram. It's like a sub gospel here. Um. But so, so I do that. Um. I. I am 26 years old, and so very much like in the post-post-grad life. Um, just figured out my existential crisis of four years after college, and now we're entering actual life. Um, so I'm um, all too familiar <laughs> with hearing that. So. It's so true. It's so true. Um, so, kind of freelance, found myself doing a lot of social media content creation management stuff. So, that's what I do to make money, and then just make up a lot of songs in my head, and over-dramatize every interaction I have, and it's great. Um, (laughs) Fun.
0: So you are not from this area originally? Yes. Or you are? Or, wait, no, I'm not. No, you're not. Okay. None of us are from here. Um, We're all transplants (laughs) The entire city. Uh,
1: I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and then went to college in Alabama, which is actually where I met your daughter, Becca,
0: which is how we know each other. Exactly. So, So, here we are. Connections. Um, So you've been, when you graduated from UNA, Mm -hmm. you came straight here?
1: I did. I like finished off my degree with an internship here.
0: Okay. Talk to me about social media. That's a big one for everybody and and, um, kind of hot and heavy there in the beginning, Mm -hmm. probably four years ago, has been through many, many different uh, leaves of layers. So, but you make money at it? Somehow. Um, mostly
1: it's always changing and it's like a lot of it now I feel like is more so interaction than it is even, um, the, I don't know. It's like a mixture of making it pretty and interacting well. And I am still figuring out the balance for myself of which one I like to do more. There's one, um, client, I guess that I'm on staff with and I'll do more for them than anyone else. Um. But for the most part, the interaction part is really difficult. And for my own, I try to do the best I can because I'm an artist and a songwriter who's trying to make people care about me yeah. um, in the most honest way. Um, but I think that's a big part of it. There are people who do my job far better than me and spend hours upon hours seeking people out and following them. Follow one, follow is a solid strategy. It's kind of annoying, but it works. Um commenting on people's posts and forever getting direct messages like there there are so many layers to this job and so many like different points you could take it from I think I'm finding I like more of the content creation and just like let's make this pretty and put it out and then you be in charge of like the personality of your brand or whatever it is um but that could totally change if I need a paycheck. Um, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> that's how it has to I'll be. will do what you need, when yeah. you need, as
0: long as it doesn't cross this line. Yes. Yeah. Um. Well, and that's true. It's very hard. You you almost have to assume the identity mm-hmm. of every client that you're working with. So is that hard for you to do?
1: Yes and no. Um, I think yes, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Because, like, a couple of my clients are um, – like orphan care nonprofits and with nonprofits you don't want to say anything wrong because everything kind of relies on the the audience in a way of just like them coming behind you. And so I we're gonna get into this later, but my Enneagram type is a six. And so I get a little anxious where I'm like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I can tend to overthink it. Um and so that but then like I've also had a coffee house before and people are messaging thinking it's the owner and they're like specific questions like hey can we get this date on the calendar I'm like I don't know I just run the social media Uh, and so there's a lot of boundaries to figure out even within that where you're like I can't like be the owner of your shop Um, but I can I can communicate and show the personality behind your shop um, in a way but like there's lots of communication that has to go into it that I'm still learning.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a tough balance because every single client is different. Yes, you, the personalities are different. I mean, you're almost ghostwriting, mm-hmm. but in order to do that effectively, you have to assume some of the character traits mm-hmm. of who, whoever you're representing. Um, you mentioned boundaries. Mm-hmm. At, at your age, it's kind of hard. <laughs> to define boundaries but yet you've had to probably do it all along do you see parallels to your college days to the same kind of boundaries that you have to find in your career
1: Hmm, that's a good question i think in a way like in a way in college i had to decide what classes i liked what i wanted to fill my time with what was the most life-giving and there were a million and one options um and like those first two years it's messy and you're choosing everything and then you end up accidentally burning someone because you change your mind in that third or fourth year um and so I feel like that happens in career as well not as much burning because hopefully we've all learned um but a lot of those boundaries of like okay I could do this like I can do it but am I fully giving myself to it no okay, so I have to choose this thing and that requires an awkward boundary to be set there, not out of fear or out of I'm angry, but out of love saying, I know I'm better here and I can serve you better occasionally. Like if I have a client who needs me to occasionally interact, I can do that better if I know I'm running where I feel most comfortable running Mm -hmm. and there's a trust built there. Um, enough trust that I can push up against the boundary line sometimes and then be like okay but like we have an open communication line that you will not ask me to do this all the time and I found that a lot
0: uh, ironically enough
1: in college with some friends and some things I was involved in
0: oh wow so when you were in college did you have any clue this is where you'd land and (laughs) career wise and and what what was your major
1: it was entertainment industry so I had no idea i was just like i'll sing songs and i had like i'm going to class and hearing what the logistics of that means but not fully experiencing it i was in a band we had so much fun we were just college kids like some of the guys in the band took it way more seriously than others me being the others Uh Um, and so i think i moved to nashville and i thought i would get hired by the church i was interning at and i would work in ministry and that did not happen at all
0: so when did happen
1: Um, So, it was a nine-week internship in which my boss did not realize I had moved here. I had to sign a year lease um, because I couldn't find temporary housing, Um, and so I moved here for a nine-week unpaid internship, Um, and my mom is a saint. (laughs) It was very helpful. And got through it and then halfway through ended up having to get a job in a kitchen at a coffee shop not being the barista but being the woman behind the scenes making the waffles cuz everything was waffle themed oh, interesting boy. interesting life here i still have like a waffle burn mark somewhere on my arm <laughs> we've all um, got to have those it's
0: <laughs> so reminders
1: bad. it's like oh yes my first tattoo um, <laughs> but but so i worked there for a little bit and then one day my boss um had me in he's like so how many more hours do you have um I was like, oh, I'm done, and he was like, awesome, you're good to go, and so it ended, um, and I'm still at that church, and I love that church, and that man is one of the most, like, influential people in my life, but it was just a season from hell. It was like, oh, wow. I hated, I didn't, I never wanted to move to Nashville. Um, I wanted to move anywhere else but here, and the church I was at, there was, um, There were some songwriters out of it that I vowed to never follow because I loved them and had embarrassed myself by meeting them a couple times in the past at shows. Um, and so I was like, I will not follow these people to their church and be that fangirl, but everything dwindled down to like, this is your option. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so I ended up at this church, um, interned in a really tumultuous season for them. Um, and then it was over, and it was just like the crashing waves. So I worked at that coffee shop for another, like, month, and then got a job at another coffee shop um, here in Franklin. And it is kind of like city hall for the entire town. So I got to meet people and connect with everybody from that church. And um, a lot of the people who are still my people, I connected because of that other coffee shop job I got. And it was like a place of renewal a little bit.
0: Wow. Wow. So who would have thought coffee shop for your degree, (laughs) Mm -hmm. coffee shop, but yet that's where your connections really took hold. Okay, now you're also, the social media and and that aspect is part of your life, but take me down the songwriting and and where the passions are. So um, in college and
1: leading up, I always said I wanted to lead worship and um, try to see... so, so such a jerk way of saying it in college. And I'm sure there's a more eloquent way, but I haven't gone to counseling enough to find it. Um, yeah. But <laughs> um, I just wanted to see if Christian music didn't have to suck. Um, and so that was kind of my catchphrase in college, which is just not it. Like, I just wanted to see what different, how Christian music could be different, because I was leading worship a lot, and that's where my heart and my songwriting um, took me. So, um, i was always writing i started like writing my songs and i was probably 14 um just never really shared them a ton um until college um and then i had this collection of songs in my first year here one of which i had written about the transition from moving um from college to here it's called Love. and um, So I had this, this group of songs and I was never going to record them. They were just going to be mine, but I loved them. Um, so I had talked to a friend about recording a hymns record. Um, and he was a good friend of mine from college who had moved up here. So he and I talked about that. That's what we were planning on. We started on it. And the next week, um, my, my friend at church and also a part of that band that I said I would never follow, um, to Nashville, (laughs) um, came up to me um, and said, hey, when are we recording? When are we doing a record for you? And I was like, I blacked out a little bit. And I was like, are you sure? What did you just say to me? Because um, this man was one of my favorite songwriters, had written some of the most influential songs of my past five years. Um, and I told him I had just talked to my friend. He was like, no, you're doing it with me. And, he, and so we. he thinks I'm coming in later that month to talk about a hymns record. Um, and then I was like, no, I want to do my originals in my original songs with you. So, um, with the help of him, David Leonard, Brad King, and Seth Talley, um, they have a studio, um, called the Creek, um, and it's in downtown Franklin. Um, and they helped me record like the first time my three songs. And I was a total, I was like. I was totally a noob in the studio with my own music. I had recorded a demo with a friend of mine before, um, in college for like my capstone project, but it was like, it was both of our first times doing anything like that pretty much. And now he's awesome and is like taking over the world and you know, I'm here, um, taking over the world. I'm taking over the world.
0: Yes, you are. Sure. Yes. (laughs) Here we are. There are links along the way. We've got to just get each one of them put in place.
1: So true. Step by step. Um, but so that was my first experience, like stepping into sharing my songs. And that was um, well, it was vulnerable. It was vulnerable. It, and it, it was like a small dream come true, like um, in the smallest of ways. I've started to say this a lot, but I think it's I think it's a truth worth sharing of I sometimes wonder if the things we fall in love with when we're a little bit younger and we're a little bit more innocent and less um, less wise, I wonder if those are aren't just dreams and things to grow out of, but if they're like whispers of promises and plans, um, I think they might be because I've seen so much of that play out in my life since moving here. And even I mean in college as well, I had an amazing college experience. And so it just gives me a lot of peace in who God is and how he made us and that he never looks at us as foolish, but instead he trusts us from the get-go. And I think sometimes we don't trust ourselves and we can make that – a stiff arm to God of like, I dreamt this and you didn't give me my dreams, but I think he gives us more than what we ask for sometimes. And we have to sit with the pain of it. Like we have to let the rain sink into the soil and like,
0: let it grow. So Very good. Yeah. I've talked to somebody, um, Dr. Joe Johnson, and I keep referring back to him. I went to a conference that Becca attended and he was a speaker And he talks about dreams. You can have dreams, but if you're not following your purpose, Mm. then the dreams, people can dream all day long. Yeah. But purpose puts feet to the dream. Yeah. And so I think, um, and and another thing along that same line, if I look at my children, the things that they did have passion about as Mm. a child are what they're launching if they allow themselves to, mm-hmm. in their adulthood. And so, um, you know, it's cultivating it's mm. pretty much what you're saying. So you go in and you get this demo, mm-hmm. and do you? is there any time where you feel like you want to run out of the room and not do this anymore or pull those back in because they were so private and, and you loved them so?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The first, the first day was, was a rough one for me because it was a little bit crowded. We had a lot of friends, like we were just excited, like Ashley's finally recording her songs. And so I'm blessed with a really beautiful community, but it got a little crowded and there are lots of ideas circulating and I didn't like some of them, but I did not know how to voice that. And I felt very, very afraid. And I was the only girl in a room full of men. And I do think that matters. Um, not in a victimy way, but I think I think at that I mean that was two years ago. I'm a little bit younger. I'm in a completely new vulnerable situation and I seek authority and men naturally have authority for the most part in a room. Um and it's so I just I did not know how to interact and we got done with the day and I felt pretty overwhelmed. And Brad, who's a part of the team that was producing, um, was one of my best friends, still is, and he like he met me early the next morning and I told him some of the things I was unhappy with and he was like awesome let's let's like figure it out today it'll be a smaller group let's figure it out and so we go in and talk to talk to David about it and like just kind of fight through how to like they had they like called me up to be like ash like this is your space and if you love these songs like you have to speak up for them we can't do it like we love you and we're going to interact the way we interact with them but they were like we need you to be you, because you're the only one who wrote these songs. Um, so and it's so,
0: almost like giving you permission to have power.
1: Yeah, yeah, giving me permission to have power and to, and to, be messy, to like because I was like I don't know the terms I should say and I don't want to sound stupid and they both looked at me they're like we sound stupid all the time but we like pull it off like just sound stupid, yeah. um, <laughs> and so they they were just like. Girl, like, we are here for you. And if you don't like it, then all of this goes to mud. And it doesn't matter. And they're like, be messy and be in process because we're on your team. Like, we're not not trying to get an agenda out here. um, And we're not trying to dominate. But if you, like, it just through relationship to them to how I even got in like in the room of just like God being so sovereign and getting me to this town and to this church and all these things Um, and then through these songs it was like everything was coming together in this moment and saying rise up (laughs) and so I've learned a lot through that and since then have been pretty messy but at the same time I think I'm in a season now of being a little bit more like I think all the mess is in one place, and we're going to start putting it back together. Yeah. Um,
0: So what did you come out of that with the most? hmm. What's the strongest point?
1: I think just a lot of confidence to speak up in a studio setting. That's a very practical answer. But just, like, I've learned a lot to trust my own creativity and to love it and to believe in it myself because people won't believe in something that the – presenter, performer, artist, doesn't believe in themselves. Yeah. Um, and so that was really the first time that somebody I I loved and believed in believed in me. And so it's been this just like ongoing overflow ever since.
0: Wow. So now where? So
1: I released those three songs in 2018. Um, and loved them and I started to plan a bunch of tours and stuff after that um nothing really huge just like pretty between like two to six hours from Nashville I would tour and do house shows and coffee shops and um this time last year I had planned an east coast tour where I went from here up to Philadelphia because I have a really close group of friends and creatives up there um and so I did I think nine dates and I was gone for 15 days um yeah, and it was completely by myself, because no one could go with me. So it's me oh, wow. and my keyboard, who I call Kelly Rowland. Um, <laughs> um, her brand, her brand oh. is Roland, and then Kelly Roland from Destiny's Child, because um, I used to end all my shows with the same My Name cover, um, <laughs> which would transition into Bootylicious after I'm singing, like, In Christ Alone or something, which I just, <laughs> tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, he does. Um, there you go. But... Um, that tour i kicked it off um with some of my friends here in nashville and then went up to lynchburg virginia charlottesville dc um pittsburgh philadelphia Asheville, and charlotte and so did that. I had two shows in the DC area, so I had like four days in DC. It was kind of like the middle of that run of shows. and I was like by myself, was meeting people, but like exhausted on a lot of levels. Um, but that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially a lot of my songs have this welcoming overtone, (laughs) I would say of spirituality and Christianity. And I, um, didn't book any shows in churches because I didn't want to and so I was going to audiences that I did not know I don't know how I didn't know how they would react how they would take me like we're in a time where Christians are definitely coming off like jerks <laughs> and I'm in DC singing songs about Jesus um during um during a really unrestful time um I think during the midterms I'm very bad at all this stuff, yeah. but as well, all the Kavanaugh stuff is happening, oh, wow. and so I'm a part of this cultural moment, and I'm singing. Um, it was a there's a show series called So Far, and they do secret shows, and so you sign up and go, you pay, and yeah. you don't know who's going to be there. So it's a like for the artist, it's a guaranteed full room, and it's a very listening room type experience. And that cool. It was yeah, and it's a really really awesome way for indie artists to be able to tour. but yeah. And so, indie so you artists. make listen. sure
0: you're kind of covered, mm-hmm. at
1: least. Yeah. And then it can kind of grow from that. Totally. So that's what you mm-hmm. were doing some that, of? That was the only, the only oh, So one. Far show I had was that one in D.C. Um, but I had done like a house show earlier that week and then had three days and then it would be that So Far show. Then I'd leave the next day.
0: Who arranges the secret show? I mean, is that like... That's all a- So
1: Far. Like they have different... Um, groups of people working in each city and so yeah it's a whole thing it's all over the world actually i think it started in london and then so like they listed off what so far shows were happening the same night as mine and there were 20 other shows happening in the world um and there yeah it's really cool this is cool yeah it's a really really beautiful way for you to find new music and to support indie artists who are like in it and so like and the the people I was on the bill with, it was this funk soul band that was <laughs> awesome. They were called Oh He Did, which is hilarious. Um, but, like, they're super, super fun and were so encouraging. And then the other guy um, was called Darnell Miller. Um, and he had, like, been in the gospel world touring, like, back in the day. And so he had – like, he was an older guy. who would come down from Baltimore um, and just had, like, old stories to tell and, like – He had a song called Jameson and Jesus. Sometimes I'm a little bit of Jesus and sometimes I'm a little Jameson or something. I loved that. (laughs) I did. Um, But it was so fun. And so there's this camaraderie between me and these artists and like, I'll still talk to them. And there are still people I met at that show that'll still reach out and say, Hey, I'm coming to Nashville. I wanted to see if you had any shows going. I'd love to come see you. Um, And so like that experience was awesome. But after that set, um, I had a woman come up to me and buy a CD and, and she said, hey, I'm not on the same page with you, like, religiously, spiritually, but I love your message of wondering and I can't wait to, like, listen to these songs and, like, live with them a little more. She was like, I loved what you brought. Thank you for your message of, like, curiosity. And I was like, this that's is the goal. Interesting door. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, this, that's it. That's what I want. Like, I love that. I love that, like music is such a bridge unlike anything else like we all speak the same language whenever melody is involved literally physically scientifically our hearts start to beat to the same beat when a song is playing in a room um and it's awesome if you're ever in a restaurant and hear just like an awkward silence at the same time that's because all of our hearts are like in (laughs) in rhythm together because hopefully they have music playing if they're a well-deserving establishment Um, (laughs) but it's just it's just interesting like I love that and so through that tour I very much found like my vision in my lane um and I haven't toured much this year but there's been a lot of songwriting, and I think some of the experience and revelation from that tour has helped me write some of my favorite songs this year oh really yeah so and I released another song this year too um
0: just recently when you're releasing how, how does that work I mean, uh, I, I know that the industry has changed quite a bit mm-hmm. from from what I probably know from years, years past. But how does that work now? I mean, is it like self-publishing or how, uh, what's the direction?
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I own my own publishing through my PRO, which is BMI. Um, and so I make sure the song is published and okay. But other people can, like, sign publishing deals and it's this whole I'm, I, I went to school for it. I should know all these answers, but it still feels like I'm relearning everything. Um, I bet it changes too,
0: just yeah. as rapidly as everything Ooh. else.
1: True, It really, really does. And it changes once you're in it because the industry is so incredibly relationally based. Um, oh, wow. Like it's who you know, and especially in Nashville, it's a songwriter community. If you want to be in a band and play shows, I've heard like go to LA. If you want to write songs, be in Nashville. And I think there's extremes on both ends. Um, but Nashville is very much like, whenever I first moved, they said it's a five-year town. I'm finding that to be true. Um, what does that mean? It, it takes probably five years to like fully settle in and start to see everything happening. And I'm four years in, and I, I think I'm seeing that. Um, oh, wow. Even Just like, it, there's... I don't know, songwriting communities can be almost closed sometimes, which I think is safe because it's a vulnerable thing. If you're, like, you have your maybe five or more people that you write with on a regular basis, um, and you're just cranking those songs out. Um, And I am on the early end of that process where I'm finding those people, um, and I'm learning to trust myself in those rooms and to get songs that I love, not just songs that work um and so in releasing i think there's also like a it's kind of like even that's who you know is streaming and stuff like that like i i have not hit it out of the ballpark with streaming yet but some other friends of mine who have been a part of other communities and bigger communities um have and it's because like people are waiting for that and the song i released this past month did better than my ep ever did because i did that tour even a year ago and there were other people that are just believing in me from around so i think like the best i <laughs> the only way to make money consistently and to grow a loyal fan base that helps with streaming from what
0: i've seen the most effective thing is to tour yeah and so and you're yeah. getting you're building your community of listeners but you're also building your community of like-minded professionals yep and if they share and they grow you then Mm -hmm. uh, but it's kind of a catch-22 because that's exhausting (laughs) so you can't produce when you're doing that now do you write songs and someone else produce those songs and and present those songs or do you take them turnkey from concept to execution?
1: Right now it's been, huh. any song I've released, obviously was I wrote it and then released it. Um, But there's only been one other song that I've been involved in the songwriting process and someone else cut it, and it was like, that's their song. Um, So it's a both and. um. How does that feel? It feels really fun. I love it. Because sometimes I can be a part of a song that, like, you get to take a back seat, and because you know you're not writing it for yourself, you get to step into this other person's shoes, and you're not forsaking yourself by, like, putting in an idea that maybe you wouldn't say, but you get to just pretend a little bit. Play pretend again. Um, And so, like, be like, see, see what this person wants to say, and... Give them those words and be a part of that, and see them feel unlocked. Of like, oh, that's it. Yeah. Um, even melody wise, like the song I, the song that my friend released that I was a part of writing on, doesn't sound like anything I would ever do. But it's so fun to say I was a part of writing that.
0: Yeah. So you do get to just kind of step over in a mm-hmm. little different world than your own, but then yeah. step back in yours.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a part for me that is really rejuvenating is if I'm doing both of those things. Um, I have to remind myself it's rejuvenating. It's like going to the gym, which I haven't done in years. Um, (laughs) But but it's like, oh, this feels good once I do it. I just have to, like, make that rhythm. Just force yourself. Yeah.
0: All right. Take me down this road. Mm -hmm. A lot of what you're doing takes a tremendous amount of self-discipline. Yes. Because you have got a lot of free time that you could just – waste at the end of the day going uh-oh, I don't have anything. How do you position your day to be more self-motivating, more productive at the end of the day? Um, for me, community is a big part of it where I
1: like I have to sometimes I have to be like, "Hey, I'm super in my head. Like, can you go be with me on this? Ask a friend to co-write, send a send a song to a friend." Um, but there's um a nonprofit called The Fold that I have become a part of. I run their social media and it's um one of my good friends is the co-founder. Um and they do these writing prompts. Um and so it's like prompt driven writing, this thing called the Amherst writers and artists method, um, started by this woman named Pat Schneider. That's a long rabbit trail we could go down. Just know it's awesome. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Um but so it's these here's your prompt, write for five to 10 minutes, and then, like, and in the fold will host like workshops where you have the option to share those writings with the group or not. Um, but the rule in those workshops is the group must respond, but you're only commenting on what's strong, what stays with you, what stands out. So the vision is to um, help artists and writers find their original voice. Um, and so that's been something for me. If I'm in a really good place and I'm finding that rhythm, I'll do, like, a free write every morning where I'll give myself five to ten minutes, like, before I look at my phone, before anything. Um, I – when I'm really healthy, I'll, like, keep that journal by my bed and just let myself write. And I've looked um, through those over the last few months, and they're actually some of the, like, most – clear writings that i have oh wow and so i'll i'll allow myself that and then um this prayer book by justin McRoberts roberts and scott erickson and things like that i i have to really for me find things that inspire me and have
0: to unlock maybe a door that hasn't been like touched in a while so that's good for anybody whether they're a mm-hmm. songwriter or not i mm-hmm. mean to have that clear writing and have mm-hmm. that um uh the exercise of time. Yeah. And, you know, um, okay. Now take me down this road of the, the book that you're talking yes. about, of the, the visioning.
1: So, um, Justin McRoberts
0: and Scott Erickson,
1: Scott Erickson is, um, Scott, the painter on Instagram. And I think Justin McRoberts is just, Justin McRoberts. Um, but they teamed up, um, to write a book they've written two now, but the first one is called prayer, 40 days of practice. And what it is, is, um, just little one line meditations and then, um, visuals to go with those meditations. And Scott, um, I listened to a podcast where they talked recently and Scott said his kind of vision statement would be, um, to illustrate the spiritual journey. And so he talks about how, um, so much of Christianity is word-based and Christians are almost word police half the time. Um, But he goes back to like cathedrals and these buildings as teachers and to a time where in Christianity, the community at large was illiterate. And so the visuals and the buildings and the paintings and the icons did the teaching. And so words looked like something, but it's kind of flipped now in our culture where we don't remember what words look like. We just say, it's this because it's this. Um, and so he really is trying to bring back a visual to the words, um, which I just love. And Justin McRoberts has some incredible, like, perspectives to give. Like, there's one there's one I can never get out of my head where it says, may I have the vision and courage to join God in what he's doing rather than fear the responsibility to bring him with me. Um, and then the visual is this, like, eagle and a man flying, a, like, on it um and it's just this beautiful visual um and it brings in another perspective for me for that scripture of like hiding underneath the shadow of his wing and like they will soar in wings like eagles and stuff like that and it just brings it all to life and it all connects and starts to like spark for me again um and so I'm I'm just madly in love of like what they have to say and what they do and um it helps me in, like, every area of my life. It makes everything kind of come back to life for me.
0: And in songwriting, how mm-hmm. do you apply that?
1: Oh, me, me and a good friend, actually, the other day um, wrote a song based off of a response I had had to one of the meditations. I'm going to try to look it up um, with one hand. Um, <laughs> uh. But so there is this meditation that I think said... Oh, we're just going to find it. Hold,
0: please. Well, that's fine. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because you showed me the book as, as I came in. And mm-hmm. part of, um, to me, when, when people are songwriting, mm-hmm. they're drawing a picture mm-hmm. with the words. And so each word is, I hate to use the word calculated, mm-hmm. but it's intentional. Yeah. And so having intentional words can... Whether you are artistic or not, we have enough visions that we can pull together and see. So, um, totally. Did you find it?
1: I did, I did. There you go. Um, I'm also going to share this one little thing. I was writing with my friend Sarah Macintosh um, a while back, and I was throwing out words. And she was like, it works, but I think I can find a word with more texture. Um, and so she was like, the word you give me, I want to be able to feel the repurposed wood behind it. Um, and that advice has changed everything for me for like words with texture and like exactly what you just said like they paint a picture you feel invited into something by those words
0: well and by advertising that is i mean anytime i'm having to work on any kind of slogan Mm -hmm. the first thing you do is just throw words on a piece of paper as many words as you can think yeah and then which words speak to you which words have depth Mm -hmm. and um And in the English language, we actually have more than we ever tap. Yes. So that's, um, we've gotten kind of lazy probably.
1: Totally. Okay. So the meditation was, before I see someone as a problem, may I see him or her as a human being? And the visual is um, like a house on fire. And so I wrote as a response that too often we set fire to the unfamiliar home. But what if that's actually somebody else inviting us into their own? We may see things that look like ours all around, but they're out of place. So before we get scared and accuse the host of thievery, I wonder instead if we could lay down our guard and let our hearts connect instead of compare. What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. We are all together. That's awesome. I freaking love it. Um, But... But so my friend and I started writing this song of kind of that concept of come to the table that I feel like is talked about so much right now. But it's this, like, there's room and, like, I don't know, off of that visual and that meditation was this, like, resurfacing of lay down your guard, lay down your burden. Like, come to the table. A place is just for you. Um, And it turned into just this almost from God's perspective, of inviting us and saying there's enough and you can come here and have plenty and rest and um, invite everyone you know Um, but it made such a common concept kind of come back to life for me because of that visual and then that song takes on another visual and it's like don't burn down the house like you might be invited somewhere Um, so it's just I've loved it and it's brought everything to life so much for me
0: I like that. Well, too, when you look at these visuals, I think is caring people, so often we would say, Well, I wouldn't dare burn down somebody else's house. But if you attach the visual to those words, mm-hmm. we do. So it kind of um, exposes, mm-hmm. I suppose, would be part of it. Um, you keep referring to community and, mm-hmm. and, You interact with other people in your writing or in Mm -hmm. your sharing or so that's important to Mm -hmm. you Um, have you ever had a moment where you felt lost community Mm -hmm. especially as you were coming out of college college is an automatic you're with people yeah some you'll like some you don't like some you'll know outside of those walls some you'll never cross again cross paths again but then you come into young adulthood And you've had to build an intentional community. Mm -hmm. So has that been a struggle? Absolutely. Especially
1: like that first year living here. Um, I felt really disconnected from the community that was so automatic. And I didn't know if I would like click with this community. I think I felt like I definitely wasn't enough for it in a way. So... I've gotten really lucky and I, I am very, I recognize that I'm very blessed to have an extroverted personality. Um, it really works. Dorothy white taught me well. Thanks mom. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. It comes in waves. I was incredibly lonely that first year, but that loneliness prepped a foundation for like this amazing community of people. And it hasn't looked the same from year to year by any means. Um, I can probably count on one hand the people who have remained consistent, um, in four years post-grad, um, and it's sweet to see, uh, there's a lot of us from college who live up here, and whenever we reunite, it's like no time has passed, and we are just each other's cheerleaders and good friends, and, um, they have remained consistent so much for me, but it's not the same as college where like that's daily. I think I used to think of community as like the people you hang out with daily. This is your quality time people. These are blah, blah, blah. And I don't think it's as much that anymore as it's just the people you have a really safe trust with. um, And that bring out the best in you and you see initially the best in them. Um, And it doesn't, rely solely on quality time, which for me, I can be pretty black and white, and my love language is quality time. So I'm always thinking, this is it. But I don't know. People are more vast than that. Love is more vast than that. Trust and community is more vast than that. And it gets to cover spaces in between. So I've I've experienced that kind of community opening up.
0: Yeah. Well, all right, it's time to jump into these enneagrams. I have come across them numerous times, so just in everybody I've been talking to. So it's evidently something that is very prevalent out there, and um, and it you know I come from the background of the Myers Briggs, and it's you know all in business and figuring out how you communicate, and then there's the love languages, you know, that you learn so that you know how to do for some people and. You know, if you're a hugger or a toucher or whatever, but then you do that to somebody who's not, then, you know, it's all a disaster. So, this is not a new concept, but this is something that seems to go a little more deep into the reasons, maybe. Mm -hmm. So, take me down your path of Enneagrams. So,
1: I am... This is about to get very heady. I'm a counterphobic Enneagram six with a wing seven. Um, sixes are a whole thing. I feel like sixes are most <laughs> misunderstood. Enne- like, the fours are getting mad at me by saying this. But the sixes, everyone's like, what the heck is a six? And I'm like, we're a loyalist who's, like, occasionally really anxious. But, like, all the literature on Enneagram makes it seem like sixes are running around with, like, chickens with their heads cut off. But I'm like, ah, maybe it's because... <laughs> There's so so much to get into. Sixes have like two breeds, which is counterphobic or phobic. And counterphobic is a little bit more. I'll lean into my fear and attack it before it attacks me. And phobic is I'll make a way around to my fear and like kind of not be as assertive. Um, and we can be both at any given time. But your odds are you're more one
0: than the other. So you've <laughs> encountered a lot of life. Which one has uh, in the last four years been
1: been counterphobic just because I
0: so before it eats you
1: yeah before it eats eats me I'll like season it and and slap it on the grill okay Um, and I'm like not today um I like to get ahead of things I don't like to be taken off guard it's very hard to surprise me um (laughs) because I can see everything coming um and a lot of that um enneagram goes a lot back to childhood wound um and I can't remember right now what the childhood wound of a six is, but I'm sure it something was uncertain. Like you didn't really know what was happening. And for me, I was an only child. My parents got divorced before I have like memories. And so in my mom and I moved back and forth a little bit between Texas and Alabama because she was working in TV news. And so it was a little bit of a transient job. Um, and so I think my first few years of like cognitive function, I was like, wait, what's going on? this person, this person has a dad, but I don't, but it's fine. Cause like my mom's great and let's watch Hercules. Um, <laughs> um, and so I think I grew up very much, um, figuring everything out on my own and seeing mom work really hard and wanting to not, um, be too much in the way and to be easy. Um, and not having dad around a ton, because he also worked in TV and moved around a ton until I was like, till I was a little, I think I was like a teenager, whenever he like kind of landed somewhere. Um, and so it was just a lot of like, all right, Ash, figure it out. Um, I don't think I felt super safe asking questions. And I think a lot of the time that only child mentality of like, no one else is asking these questions was very present in me. Um... And so that forms a very loyal person who can feel all the things um, and kind of see what's going on, check the worst case scenarios, keep herself safe, um, but does struggle to ask for like loyalty returned um, and does struggle to um, receive love a lot of the time. Um, Sixes and twos can look super similar, I would say. Um, And I sometimes can look a lot like a four because of my creative bent. Um,
0: Yeah, I was going to say, just that mix in there too? mm -hmm. Because you have the creative bent and then you can get some of that that you're missing as a six Mm -hmm. through the creativity that you're putting out there.
1: Totally. Yeah, yeah. And I've experienced, like, I think through knowing Enneagram, I've been able to realize, oh, this is why I do this. Oh, this is a tool. And now, like, I know how to use it. mm -hmm. Um, So I've started... I think the later you get in your 20s, you start to realize some disappointments of maybe things you thought would be happening by now that aren't. And I've found recently I've been able to write songs about those things and experience them in a way that's more special to me than if I had gotten what I wanted. Um, And it's such like I am so grateful for that gift. And I think I can use that gift and have fun with it a little bit because of this personality awareness because i was super into myers-briggs as well in college um and i think myers-briggs would say i'm an esfp and that taught me a little bit of like you love to like entertain and like have fun and community and all these things and then enneagram reminded me of the depth that there is to all of that but sometimes esfps in myers-briggs world don't get the credit for the depth we have Um, (laughs) we're just the golden retrievers and you know what we are but golden retrievers like I love
0: golden retrievers. It's so true. It's so true.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, so all of that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating because it um, almost frees you from what might be considered a burden mm-hmm. to make it an asset, make it a tool. Yeah. From what I keep hearing about people that are truly... Not just diving in, but they are swimming in mm-hmm. Enneagrams. Um, so, but do you find yourself, this is where I'm a little confused. Do you find yourself analyzing other people going, oh, you are a? And then, or
1: not as badly. That, is it more personal? It's more personal because the cardinal rule of the Enneagram is never to type someone else. Um, like most of the time, if you dive in an Enneagram, the first thing you hear is, hey, don't be the jerk that, like, gets onto your friend for being a one. Like, that's not – that is not the purpose of this. It's just not. And I experienced a lot of analyzing and typing people with Myers-Briggs in college because we all thought we were the kings and queens of personality quizzes. Right. Um, and so we're like, oh, you're such an INFJ. Blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, that was such a common conversation. Thing for me in college was to be like, oh, she's just an INFP and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so I've experienced it a little bit less in Enneagram because Enneagram is so much more free flow in a way and a lot more whole in the understanding. In an easier way of putting it, it's a lot more complicated <laughs> than Myers Briggs. You can't just look at someone and be like, you're an eight. Because they could be a two who's in a really stressful season, or they could be a four who's really healthy right now, or they could be a seven who needs to lean on their eight wing right now, or a nine, like they could be anything. And so it calls you to really get to know the person and be curious about them. And in that allow that curiosity about them to reflect curiosity in yourself and we see fully who each other are in each other.
0: (laughs) It really is unpacking the baggage, Mm -hmm. unpacking what made that response or reaction. Mm -hmm. But is it a little fearful too? I mean, if you start going down that road and Mm -hmm. you start looking at, you know, like you were talking about in your early childhood, sometimes people want to just shut that door and not worry about it anymore Mm -hmm. or deal with it. Or, but when you're a songwriter, you kind of (laughs) pull in experience Mm -hmm. to help you with those deep and solid words. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just like a bundle.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I think it might be my like counterphobic self that I'm more fearful of the things I don't know than the things I do. Like I saw something on Instagram about a six earlier and it was like, always tell me the truth. No, no truth is going to hurt me more than if you had lied like, or something you didn't tell me.
0: Well, we used to say uh, in, in our family, omission is a lie mm-hmm. so you know that's kind of mm-hmm. down that same road of uh yeah hand me the truth we we at one point had a i don't know it was something in youth group where you went around and you were telling um and, and i was a, a, a chaperone to a lot of things and so we had that experience where the kids were to say what's like your family rule what's the one big thing mm-hmm and my three could tell you honesty i mean you you mislead me mm-hmm. and i'm not going to be a happy person yep. tell me the truth we'll deal with it but
1: 100 percent.
0: dishonesty um, will catch us every every time mm-hmm. so um in your childhood only child and so did you have extended family that you were involved with do you ever feel yourself pulled in the different family directions
1: um, because I never got to know my dad's side of the family super well. I can only remember like one holiday gathering with them. Um and I had an uncle that I really clicked with there and I haven't seen um I haven't seen anybody on that side in, in a while. Um some of that's because I moved away from Texas and I think a lot of them are there. Um but I just didn't have much of a consistent relationship with my dad, so there wasn't much of a consistent relationship with his family. And my mom's side of the family is really small and the only other person close to my age and the immediate family is my cousin and she is over 40 now so she was all I think she's like 15 years older than me um so it was just kind of me and the dogs Um, (laughs) um like I in that moving around a lot at the beginning of my life um I feel like I would I remember my grandparents coming to visit at times but so like Think this is all kids. It's like you remember oh, this is my family at age five. Um yeah. and I think add in a childhood of moving around a little bit in those like forming years. It was like, Oh, oh, it's you guys. Okay. Um, and that's just how I took it in. That's not because anybody raised me wrong. That's just yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. I lived in a lot of movies and a lot of feeling people out and just trying to figure out like, okay, what what am I doing here? Um and so I love my immediate family, but none of them are, like, we're not, like, the family with the group text. We're not, like, the um, family vacation everybody goes together. Mom raised me camping a lot, and we had so much fun, um, and she raised me with all kinds of wonder, and it's been so fun. We, like, recently got to go on a camping trip together um, in September, and it was awesome to kind oh, of re-experience great. that as an adult with her um, and re-experience her. She's in a season of just like, I'm seeing her more herself than she's ever been. And so it's like so fun to reenter that space um, together. Um, but, but yeah, I don't think, unfortunately, I just don't think I'm incredibly family oriented because she also raised me to be really independent and I'm an only child. So I think every friend you would find becomes your family yeah
0: um there's nothing wrong with that Uh, i think that what i've can the thread that i see going through in Mm -hmm. this conversation is that you create those links and those Mm -hmm. relationships and and filter through the ones that you need to hold on to and then you reconnect with those as if you haven't missed a day or a beat Mm -hmm. with them so i I think that's pretty powerful Mm -hmm. um but camping, let's, let's, let's talk about that a bit. So, outdoors is something that you enjoy?
1: I do. Not as much as my mom, I'll be honest. Um, but then again, she was also talking about wanting to get an Airbnb rather than stay in a tent another night yeah. on this trip. So, I was like, have I turned you? Yeah. Um, but That's so. still adventuresome. It's, <laughs> you know, you
0: it's sure true. i can some Airbnbs that...
1: Some crazy Airbnbs. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I've seen them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love, I don't know, mountains are a big thing for me. Trees are a big thing for me. Um,
0: well, and you live close to quite a bit.
1: Yes, which is so refreshing because growing up in Texas, there's nothing. Yeah. Um, and so I think a reason I have such a love and a connection to it is because my mom loved it. And sometimes you just have to watch someone love something for you to love it. Um, and she would take me... We, like, went to Yellowstone when I was 10 or 11. She would take me, I mean, even pretty places in Arkansas. Um, believe it or not, they're there. Um, but So she was... It was just a priority for my childhood to, like, get out and camp and be a part of this and see that Texas is not all there is. Um, and I think... A lot the of Texas pre- don't
0: believe that. No,
1: I know. They, they <laughs> are wrong. Um, they're not wrong. They're just happy um
0: (laughs) yeah that's all right
1: go Texas still proud of it it's like my little brother like I can say all the mean things about it but as soon as somebody not from Texas gets on it I'm like come on now Texas is it so um so I think the first time my mom told me a story last year of like the first time we're driving out of Dallas and I started to see trees I started to ask where all the buildings were (laughs) and so I don't know I just think it's been like a space and, of freedom for and me then a lot. She
0: knew it was really important to get you out. <laughs> she was like, All right, we gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, do you find that some of that plays into your music and your writing and your mm-hmm. creativity?
1: I'd say so. Yeah. It's important for me to like be around it in order to keep those things lively like the things that make a healthy Ashley are a morning walk. And there's like a trail over here that goes past a river and you're like, and all the trees. And so um, I can go to that morning walk, morning, write, morning coffee. (laughs) And those are the three things that make like the most creative steadfast Ashley. But it's so hard for me to like keep those rhythms going for some reason.
0: Well, how old were you when you found that? Uh, 25. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Just last week. Um, That's, pretty significant Mm -hmm. to to realize what can make a happy ashley Mm -hmm. Um, and then to guard that
1: yeah it's hard
0: and then you still are in the jobs that you do the freelancing and the creativity finding a balance is probably tough Mm -hmm. and yet you have to make a living and support yourself. So have you found that to just be a really frustrating aspect of and I don't even want to say going into adulthood, mm-hmm. but when you're adulting, those are some of the things that are just really not fun. Yeah.
1: I've yet to figure out the balance I really have. Um I think I just have to keep a constant rule of grace when trying to find the balance because why should I know how to do something I've never done before? Um, but it's, it's really frustrating. And, you know, like the, I think last week there was an existential crisis where I was like, am I going to be okay? Like, am I going to make it? And I don't know. I could not, but,
0: <laughs> what'd um, you do? what'd you do when you had that kind of crisis
1: do the things I know I went grocery shopping. I think I had eaten out almost every meal for so long at that point, And I was like, go get groceries and cook yourself dinner and then was like that alone stilled my mind (laughs) yeah and so it's like the really mundane rhythms like i think you have to choose to see those as victories a lot of the time in adulthood to like because i think adulthood can threaten to zap the purpose out of our lives but instead it's like no 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 this is like the click track behind the whole song that keeps it in line like everything bursts to life around this but this is very important and like this does not mean you've given up on yourself um and so i don't it's more giving up on yourself to not do those things which i am very guilty of often because i get very overwhelmed with like i don't know how to do it and i'll do it wrong and one of my mentors says dare to suck so even in trying it's to pick health care dare to suck yeah
0: yeah Well, okay, you just mentioned mentors. Mm -hmm. So you have intentionally found some people Mm -hmm. to plug into your life as mentors?
1: Yes and no. It feels like they're never... Since middle school, I haven't been like, I want this person to be my mentor. I've just started to notice when I desire an older woman or a man, I desire their advice and their input, and I trust it. Um, And I think the almost rule with mentors is that like you go to them that's like it shouldn't always be them being like hey how are you hey how are you hey how are you but you go with this trust to know that they care and you can ask and so um kind of in the same way that i've started to view community as a little bit more vast and it's like just trust just trust that it's there and like plug in and know that you belong i i have learned to do that with a lot of mentors and so many of them look like just some of my favorite people in this world like they have naturally become good friends and then i realize like oh i want their counsel like that's what i want from them right now um and to like own up to that and to like when their when their words become a part of my my liturgy in a way yeah. <laughs> that's how i know like oh this person has become a mentor for me like i trust their input and i want it whenever whenever a thing happens like i reach out to these people um and they're older, and they're diverse, and they're so different. And they point out things in me that a friend just wouldn't. Um, and it's such a gift.
0: That is, and to look for the diversity and and embrace that diversity and bring mm-hmm. it in. Um, you said something a little while ago about um, <clears throat> going into the male-dominated room and mm-hmm. and them having the authority. Um, how do you? deal with that thought and and is it one that keeps coming up that you keep having to face and kind of slay?
1: In a way, I think I'm going to say this and try not to sound weird. I love men. I'm such a fan of men. I'm a champion of men. I also think women are the freaking best. Um, And I think a lot of the time men don't realize um, maybe how they can come off in a room or how they're functioning naturally just because it's what's easy men gravitate towards what's natural and they don't overthink as much and in the way they do overthink they're they are human um but it's a very different way of interacting that men do and then women do and so whenever you bring in the two um I think I don't know I've had to learn to be patient and to just like Even if I feel like I'm gonna be inconvenient, which is my worst fear with men um, for some reason, um, I have to say what I'm thinking um, and just trust that it'll be heard and trust that if it's not heard the first time that I'm worthy of continuing that dialogue and for asking what I need. And I think a lot of the time, um, especially in creative rooms with men, they get really excited and they're like going for it. And then if you as a woman are probably caught up on something, this is what I've experienced more often than not, especially in songwriting. The guys are like going for it. The songs, there. The melody's there. It's perfect. They're on a roll and you kind of get a check and you're like, um, I think it needs to go this way. Um, and sometimes it like, especially when those ways are different. Um, it takes like a conversation. It's like, okay, come meet me here. Um, Instead, I think a lot of the time the tendency in those rooms is for the woman to, like, really rise up and be the bigger bear. But I'm like, ah, this might be, like, some of my conservative upbringing kind of peeking its head into my life now. But women are – there's, like, a book I read when I was in college called Captivating that most Christian women have read, I would say. Um, it's by John and Stacy Eldridge. And I think Stacy says – women are made in the image of the beauty of God and men are made in the image of the power of God. And both of those things exist to create um, and, to, and to just be beautiful and to be whole. And so I think it's seeing that and not seeing one as more the other, not seeing one as complimenting one or the other, but saying, no, we both belong. And I think the challenge for women is to check: Do I believe I belong because I'm scared that I don't, or do I believe I belong because God did put me here? And I love this person, and I love myself, and I'm going to see how we're both belonging in this moment. That God God set the table and we sat down on it, sat down at it, rather than rather than thinking the man's an authority and he's always going to be this or that. I think sometimes men just don't realize because it's just been how. It, that's just how it's been for hundreds of years that men naturally have the authority in a room and blah 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 so we cannot always get onto them and blame them for taking the authority and being being dominant sometimes because that's been the rhythm for hundreds of years and a woman our dominance gets to be different and it does, it's not meek or gentle or like quiet but it's beautiful and I think there's a power in beauty that causes change um, more than just straight-up power, and they have to come together.
0: Yeah, I can see that. And I, I really appreciate your comment of you can't really blame the way that the dynamics have played out because um I, I have a favorite quote that um Schwarzkopf said when, when he was leading. He said, when put in charge, be in charge. Mm-hmm. And I tried to empower my kids with that, my girls with that, if you've been given the leadership role, if you've been given the authority to take a project or take a discussion, step up. Yeah. That's the moment. But to kind of crawl up to that moment, you almost lose the position Mm -hmm. and then somebody's got to take it. So, um, well, it seems very powerful. It seems that you have a lot of opportunity through both your music and, and your social media platforms that you're working with, um, what directions do you see going? Mm -hmm. Is it just in the moment and following where it goes, or do you have some laid out plans?
1: Man, it's so hard for me to think of plans now because nothing has worked out thus far. Um, (laughs) The train's coming. Um, I would say I would love to... um, Mm -hmm be a working songwriter and kind of be a part of that um, career and workforce <laughs> of getting together and writing songs and helping other people say what they want to say and as well as releasing my own stuff and I did love touring um, so I would like to enter that world again um, but not at the cost of being exhausted and um, being alone <laughs> so I think I'm waiting to see the next season of that for me. Um
0: so being alone is not attractive.
1: Not entirely. I loved it. I totally loved it. But after that East Coast tour last fall, I did like a little Christmas tour down to Texas and back um in December and I I ended that tour exhausted and miserable. Um, so I just think it was too much like there at least needs to be a merch girl going on tour with me, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, oh my gosh. you're That's right. You're doing all of it.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. And so, and it's just in rooms you don't know and you're seeing people, you know, along the way, but it's very different because it's like you're at work and they're just like, they think it's super fun that they're hosting their old friend from camp um, for a house show. And, um, in, in, and I heard on a podcast the other day, music is probably the only job or just creative jobs in general are the only ones where if somebody doesn't like your product, they say they don't like you. Like it's like, Oh, I don't like Adele. Um, which what a travesty. But yeah. um but no one else would say like that about oh, uh, right. so many other jobs. And so you can feel that it's happening in say a the room. Yeah
0: the person yeah
1: there's there's not much to hide behind in these like creative jobs and you can feel that happening um, in those house show rooms and you're like I don't know if this person's liking me and also people process differently all over the world so <laughs> they can come up to me after a show and be like I love you you changed my life but that whole time they're like looking down at their phone or like looking up in the ceiling or their eyes are closed <laughs> and like I I have to just trust that what I'm bringing is worthy, um, and continue to bring it, because um, persistence is like the biggest rule in this career. Is just keep showing up.
0: Yeah, and it takes a tough skin. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a tough skin in any career. I I had board meetings where I had a lady who was on my board of directors, and in the meeting, when I'm giving a presentation. She's um, knitting. She's crocheting. And I'm like, seriously? Don't you think a note might be something we could do. And I realized that that was how she listened. That was how she processed. But to me, it was like, eyes. Mm -hmm. Put your eyes on me while we're talking. And so I can only imagine being a performer. um, How night after night or day after day, having to kind of pull that from within and not totally get it from that outside so totally props to you it's a whole thing (laughs) we have gone down a lot of different paths I don't know if we've covered all of them as effectively as you'd like is there something that you want to make sure that we do touch on before we end up
1: girl I feel like you have led the conversation into all my little heart spaces so just thank you for having that vision and and that rise upness in you to like ask the questions and see the person and go down go down the path thank you
0: thank you it's a vulnerable place to go (sighs) but i think it's incredibly important because there are um, women ahead of you there are women behind you there are women right with you Mm -hmm. and i think the danger that we have is feeling alone Mm -hmm. and not really thinking that um, we have anything to contribute or gain um got a question Mm-hmm. 24 hours you have a superpower oh. what would it be what would you do with it and why oh no oh that's so
1: hard um I would stop time or and like time travel that's what I would want I would want a time travel so I can like be Hermione Granger and the prisoner of Azkaban and just do it all um <laughs> but I just kind of want to go back to like go back to times not I don't necessarily need to see the future I just like want to go back in time sometimes and see how we got here um and then at times stop time so I can go see some friends and in another, in another <laughs> on another day and not pay for air travel um. Yeah, no kidding.
0: um how do people get in touch with you Ashley
1: you can follow me on Instagram um Ashley underscore Blanco um uh, you're in on the joke everyone because my last name is actually white but Almost everyone I meet thinks it's Blanco because a childhood friend is the one who set up my Instagram. And she's like, Ashley White's taken. You're now Ashley Blanco. I love that. So there's Ashley underscore Blanco. Um, That's the the platform I'm on the most with, like, music and writing and um, actual communication. You can follow Ashley White Music on Facebook. um, And, yeah, I have a blog. uh, Just AshleyWhiteMusic.wordpress. So,
0: What goes on your
1: blog? What kind of I have not written in a long time. Um, So it's been over a year since the last blog went up. Um, But just kind of spiritual musings. Um, I made up a thing that I actually don't think I made up, um, but this thing called a sensory prayer. And so I kind of outlined that. And so that's the last blog that I think went up. Um, And so it's stuff like that. And then just realizations and observations. Truly.
0: I do want to go one more place before we close out, and that is um, your faith seems to wind through mm. significantly. So at what point in your life was faith a real draw for you?
1: Mm. Man, I'm trying to think. Um, probably middle school. I, I became a part of a youth group that was really thriving and being – fed meat and not milk. Um, And pretty early on, our youth pastor left. Um, Like seventh grade, he left. But I remember in sixth grade, I would feel guilt for cussing for the first time. And he would sit with me and talk with me about what that meant, about my faith and what God thought of it and all this stuff. And so for the first time, um, I had a male authority figure sitting with me. And just being there and not needing anything from me, but sitting in things that I considered were, like, silly. Like, it's so dumb that I'm worried about cussing and, like, everyone else is drinking at a party, you know? I don't know. Um, but he would sit with me and never diminished it. And so that made me really, really curious. And when he left, I saw our youth group really rally. Um, like, a lot of the older students became mentors for the younger ones and took their leadership really seriously and... um so I started to see faith really walked out, um, and I was really curious about it, and I really loved it, and I was just like, this feels right, like this this brings purpose to everything that has happened for me, and of course, I think a part of the narrative of me not knowing much about fatherhood, like God presented himself as a father, um, and a safe place, and as someone who was always present. And so from then out, um, the youth group just, it was, it was a really good place of learning, um, just good lessons and consistent deep lessons. Um, so continued in that, um, went to college and was a part of a really vibrant faith community. Um, that I, I feel like every, every space I've ever been in has pretty, been pretty open to questions, um. I think in high school I felt sometimes that I took it too seriously and they told me to chill out. And so that was the part where I think a lot of the times my love for things comes out in questions and doubt. Like if I really care about it, if I'm going to commit to it, odds are I'm going to doubt it for a little bit. And so I think that was a part of me that was kind of healed in this season um, where I'm a part of a church that's just like we're going to live in the tension and we think that might be where Jesus is um and I totally agree with that
0: (laughs) that's interesting talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about that
1: um just kind of that tension of doubts and questions um I don't know I've I've continued to have this um picture in my mind of two extremes but in between there's a bridge and I think we might meet on the bridge um Um, And we'll talk about how culture is really polarized and divided right now, but I don't think that's the point. I think that would be the distraction is if we're worried about that, if we're worried about the water under the bridge instead of like, there's a bridge. Like, we are safe. Yes, it's polarized. Yes, it's divided. It always has been. Um, But the Holy Spirit... And it's like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this is like the picture I get. Like, God is in it all, and everything belongs, and every dot connects. And I think in order to see how the dots connect, you have to walk sometimes a thin line. Um, And so live in that tension. Like, if something rises up in you that looks like fear or doubt, you don't have to, like, dismiss it. Like, perfect love casts out fear, but in order for it to cast out fear, you have to know what you're throwing out. You can't just start, like throwing everything around the room. yeah, because then you can't find your faith at all. Um, and so and there's also a theory called the eight Main Emotions by Chip Dodd um, where he like sees these eight main emotions that we all have as people and there's a gift and an impairment of each. and the gift of fear um, is faith and wisdom and the impairment is rage and control. Um, and there's a, it's like fear, shame, guilt, lonely, hurt, glad, sad, um oh and I always forget the last two, but you can look it up. I was it's impressed. Great. It's, <laughs> with those? it's great. Um uh, it is it's a theory I learned when I first moved here that has been a gift to me. Um but so if I'm a Enneagram six, I struggle with fear a lot. But that also means if I receive that as a gift, if there is no foe, if nothing can stand against me, if darkness is as light to God, if God is exactly who he says he is then fear fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom I can follow this path and there's nothing there's nothing that overwhelms or nothing that overcomes like the darkness has not understood the light and so but there's a lot of tension in that you have to then sit with the scars and like kind of see where they came from and ask and and recognize where God was when you weren't looking for him um, and allow him to rejoin you and to renew and refresh.
0: Very interesting. (laughs) I think we could just keep going and going, but uh, what I really appreciate is that there's depth to your thought. There's depth to your words. And and you don't just own that. I mean, everybody can kind of explore into that Mm. and just slow down and kind of figure out what your routine is to make sure that you can get that so, mm-hmm. thank you thank it's you. been amazing i appreciate you being with us today yes thank you I loved it. I to the beat of my own drum. I got my pockets full of dreams and Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, cry a little, and find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it, from family to philosophy to work to meal prep toward beautifully surviving life. When I live